care of the birds of the air and also take care of the air. Take care of the fish in the sea and also take care of the sea. This evening and from this night forward, we must become one collective worldwide network to obey the first commandment given by the creator of the universe, which is to take care and protect my creation. We are tonight. That is the, the voice of the Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley addressing the Religions for the Earth World Conference in 2014. Dr. Durley is the pastor emeritus at Providence Missionary Baptist Church in Atlanta, and I'm honored to say a member of the American Resilience Project Advisory Board. We'll get to my conversation with Dr. Durley in a moment, but first, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the very first episode of the American Resilience Podcast. I'm your host, Roger Sorkin, the director of the American Resilience Project, which creates films designed to influence public policy, inspire behavioral change, accelerate the energy transition, and strengthen civilizational security. And while we're still hard at work on our current revolution energy transition film series, along with Farm Free or Die, which we'll be using to promote the 2023 Farm Bill as a way to fight the climate crisis, we thought the time was right for an American Resilience podcast to help us stay on track with the strategic narratives that we cultivate with our films. And so we'll be featuring interviews with some of the trusted messengers who've appeared in our films over the years, who can help us modify and adapt the narratives as needed. So thank you for being on this journey with us. And now for my interview with Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley, who appeared in our first current revolution film, The Transformation Cannot Be Stopped. Welcome, Dr. Durley. Roger Sarkin, it is an honor to be here in this resilient environment. Well, it's an honor to have you here, especially on our first program. And I met you and first heard you speak around the time when you started describing the climate crisis as the civil rights issue of our time. And you had been deeply involved in the civil rights movement for 50 years prior to that. And I'd like for you to describe your journey through the civil rights movement and how that led you to climate justice as a dominant civil rights issue. Roger, first of all, I'm just so pleased to be here. And the question that you ask is so relevant and important. Everything in life is connected. Every journey is connected. And my journey and life's dedication was how do I uplift the atrocities that have been posed upon the African-American community and others as far as racial discrimination, voter disenfranchisement, economic and educational inequalities. We were fighting for constitutional rights. We felt it was constitutionally right for us to be able to vote. It was our constitutional right for us to be able to uh, move into a neighborhood where we could afford and have equal access to health care and jobs. These were equal rights. These were constitutional rights. We fought for the equity all during that time to do this. And I began to see that everyone has a constitutional right to clean water, to clean air, and to have a constitutional right not to have their lakes and their streams and their rivers polluted. They have a constitutional right to be able to breathe when they go out without being suffering from asthmatic conditions or cancer, as it does down in Cancer Island, 85 miles strip down there in New Orleans, where these people are suffering from the petrochemical companies flooding the ocean. That's a constitutional right. But so many of the companies were, uh, because of putting profits over people, they were denying constitutional rights. So I saw no uh, separation between my fighting for constitutional rights to vote, uh, to live where you can, the right to equal education, 
and the right, the constitutional right that's granted to every American to clean air, clean water. So that was a 10-year journey. And then, of course, uh, along the way, I became chair of the Interfaith Power and Light, where we're in 40 states, 22,000 houses of worship. But I believe we're in an ethical and a moral warfare. We are fighting ethical and moral warfare when we start denying the rights of certain people to enjoy a perfectly balanced ecological world that God created for all of his creation. Birds, animals, bees, and people, plants. But we're destroying it. So consequently, I make very little, if any, distinction between fighting for the constitutional rights of those that are being devastated by the environment with floods and with uh, hurricanes. So that's where I, I am on, on, on that and how I got into it. So I, I don't make any distinction now between what I was fighting for starting in 1959, over six years, and what I'm doing right now. And I'm very comfortable with it and will stand on that ground. Well, I think many people are glad you're standing on that ground. And as you know, the fossil fuel industry is very good at convincing people that climate change is not caused by human activity. And you don't give up hope when it comes to trying to persuade people of the real truth. So what is your experience trying to persuade skeptics that addressing the climate crisis is in everyone's best interest? I think around climate change, uh, even those on the conservative, far-right conservatives, are beginning to, to understand and grasp that this is, there is no uh, respect when climate comes in, climate change comes in with a disaster. There's no, it doesn't look for a white community or a black community or a Latino community or a gay community or female community. It's across the board, so they cannot hide. So in order to, for us to mitigate and change this or stop this and get it back down to 1.5 Celsius, we're all in this together. So I think that that gives me the hope to see that this is something bigger and that now we're gonna face it. I've come up with a phrase in my own life to keep me surviving, SOS. That means save only some. I'm not gonna sit and argue with you and you, you're standing on your rooftop and the rain is up to your windowsill and you're saying that this is God ordained. No, the rain is God ordained, but how did we cause it? God, is, he's immutable. If I throw a rock up in the air, Gravity brings it down. That was put into play by God. But if I throw up a rock in the air and catch it with a, with a handle, that's me interrupting God's plan. And we're interrupting God's divine plan. In our first Current Revolution film, you talked about how public service commissions, the government bodies that regulate our energy system, and each state has their own, which makes it difficult to create a coherent policy that you can apply to every state, you say that public service commissions or public utility commissions in some cases don't receive enough attention in the media, but that these government entities in particular are powerful and capable for helping achieve a higher level of climate justice and a more successful energy transition. Can you talk about public service commissions in particular as an area that's ripe for citizen engagement where people can really feel that they have a direct influence over energy policy? Well, I think Many people in my age now, when they get ready to re I don't call it retirement, Roger, I call it rewirement. Many people, when you go through rewirement, I'm retired. I'll be 81 years old my next birthday. I'm more excited now than I was when I got into it at 22. So any of those who are listening on this call, if you're not excited and not enthusiastic about what you're doing right now, get involved in something. And so one of the key things to get involved with that controls how much you pay is the Public Service Commission. The Public Service Commission sets up how much we pay for the energy. And I, in this case, it's Georgia Power here in, in Georgia. And I had 
very little problem, if any problem, going down before the Public Service Commission. They made one grave mistake. They may ask me when I come down and do a 45-second prayer before they open their meeting. They didn't realize that I was going to stay for the meeting. I stayed for the meeting after the prayer. And I said, before I make my comments, my public comments, I thank God that we opened the prayer that we can all work together. Am I right, commissioners? And we started talking about the nuclear plant. We had to go before the Public Service Commission to, to try to stop cost of the overruns being put in taxes to the people. So therefore, the things come together. The ethics, the morals, the civil rights. In the scriptures, it said faith. You can have all the faith in the world, but faith without what? Works is dead. Now, the big challenge, if you, say, if you ask me the question, what is the biggest challenge in facing the mitigation of climate change? The biggest hurdle that we're going to face, I think, if we're to make, keeping that at 1.5 Celsius, as Pogo said, we, we saw the enemy and the enemy is us. It's us. We are not willing to change our lifestyles. And I'm not saying adopt the vows of poverty. No, live. But we, we are, we're an opulent society. And guess what? Watch this. When we as a populace begin to change our lifestyles, then all of a sudden the businesses are going to say they changed the lifestyle. Let's get some business procedures to match the lifestyle. And then we'll pay the politicians to make it legal. So it starts with us saying, wait, let's change our desires and our change our wants and still have a quality of life. You're listening to a conversation with the Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley, Pastor Emeritus at Providence Missionary Baptist Church in Atlanta, Board Chair for Interfaith Power and Light, and Advisory Board Member for the American Resilience Project. You're listening to the American Resilience Podcast from American Resilience Project. And you can watch all of our films for free on our website, including Current Revolution, The Transformation Cannot Be Stopped, which features today's guest, Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley. The ravages of climate change transcend race, gender, culture, class, and faith. This devastating man-made disaster negatively impacts all human beings. Climate change is an equal opportunity destroyer of life. We from the civil and human rights community feel that there is a moral obligation and an ethical civic responsibility to speak out with one resounding voice to protect the environment. It is imperative that our voice and message be spoken unapologetically to the political, the educational, the business, the scientific, and faith communities. We must emphatically encourage our political representatives to pass legislation to stop the use of fossil burning fuel and limit emissions from power plants and cars. We must explore and implement alternative energy sources. God Almighty entrusted us to a perfectly balanced That's Reverend world. Dr. Gerald Durley of Providence Missionary Baptist Church in Atlanta addressing the 2014 Religions for the Earth Conference. And Dr. Durley, we all know that these next few decades, at least the climate crisis will increasingly pose many challenges for social stability and that the future, um, in increasingly the present, can sometimes appear pretty bleak. But you have been consistently hopeful. Every time I've heard you speak, 
it's just nothing but hope. So how do you stay positive and motivated through all the bad environmental news that we hear every day? I've gone through recently, as many people have, some form of tragedy, some form of disappointment, some form of frustration. Uh, and when we hit a wall and we don't know which way to go, we know it's going to work out. And the older you get, the more you understand it's going to work out. And so even I've just gone through quite a few challenges with death in my family, with my wife and my son and others. And people come up to me and say, Dr. Durley, you're so strong. You're so... And I have to let them know I am not strong. I have my moments when I really break down. I have my moments when I'm not, as you say, strong. But I say a word that might define me a little more is I, I'm resilient. I'm resilient in the fact that when it hits me because of things I've gone through, I'm going to keep getting up. I'm going to keep finding a sense of stability in the midst of whatever I'm going through. So I think with the mitigation of climate change, we're going to face the deniers, we're going to face those that will continue to do it on their side of, of, of a profit. But we've got to look at the resilient nature in the sense that we're going to keep coming back. We're going to stay in the movement. Uh, 62 years in the civil rights movement, and I'm seeing things that I, that I never thought we'd see again. Now, let me get theological for a minute. There's a phrase that we say, God is not pleased with how we're treating what he loaned to us. We say when we go back to Genesis, the first chapter 26, God said, I will loan this, take care of my garden, meaning the world, meaning the environment, meaning everything that he created, take care of my creation. But we have abdicated that responsibility. Then the question has to be, how do we collectively come together for survival of humankind and the environment? And the question really is, how do you give people hope? Because hope, hope is what gets you up in the morning. Dr. Durley, you've spent a lot of time over your career meeting with business leaders. How hopeful are you that corporate executives and their shareholders, besides paying lip service, which we know they're very good at, are going to take the action that they have to take? And on the scale that only a large corporation can take if we're really going to avoid catastrophic climate change. The people that I've talked with in many of the power companies, uh, the petroleum companies and the power companies uh, in the automotive industry, they understand exactly what we're talking about because when the winds come and the storms come, they're right in the middle of all of this with us. So they understand that they want their children to have a better, better life. But they have these investors and, 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 and profits that they must make. So when I talk with them, they say, I understand that. So then we have to work on a different way of selling their board of directors and their investors who, who, who back the politicians who meet their needs. We've got to let them know here, watch, here's the word, that it can be a win-win situation. We can all win. We live in a society that says, if I win, you lose. Why can we, why does it have to be, I win, you lose? Can it be, we win? Everybody's not going to win at the same level. But yet, nobody has to be a total loser for me to be a total winner. My mother used to say this, down not those who are down. Cheer them up in their sorrow. For this old world is a funny old world and you may be down tomorrow. So if the business people, the politicians, the faith community and the regular community can come together, we can all win and they will make money. I have no problem with them making money. I understand that. Uh, where they can make the profit, the people can benefit from the health, 
The oceans can benefit. The, 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 the sea life in the ocean. Everybody wins. But right now, and I hate to use the word, but it seems like right now, because of ignorance and fear, we're, we're a constipated society. And to get rid of that constipation, we've got to loosen up some of the stuff that's got us stuck. So consequently, when we get up all these years, regardless of whether it's in the pulpit or whether it's around a legislative action of what, like what we're doing in Georgia, uh, is getting people excited about, watch again, here, here I come, about their own well-being, their mental well-being, their physical well-being, and their spiritual well-being. And so as we wrap up this conversation, I'd like to ask your thoughts on storytelling, which, as you know, is what we do at American Resilience Project. And you, of course, have a deep expertise through your understandings of theology and scripture of how stories and parables can work to motivate and inspire people. So what is your perspective on the power of narrative to help us navigate the energy transition and adapt to the climate crisis? I think the beauty is that when you can take persons such as yourself and others who are now bringing a level of awareness, connecting it back to the human spirit, and then giving a solution, then we've got hope. So one is to bring that level of awareness, not from a doom and gloom or frightening that fire, screaming fire in the auditorium, but from a point of this is where we are and this is what's causing it and be willing to face that and now let's collectively move ahead. So the level of awareness that you're bringing is so critical. Now, before you and I speak, before I speak to you now, every word is coming out of my mouth. It's a thought before it's a word. It's a thought before it's a word. So our thoughts become our words and our words become our behavior. Our behavior becomes our values and our values become our destiny. So if our destiny is to have any kind of resilient nature, we've got to start with our thoughts. So if my thought is that I don't think I'm going to make it today, this is so bad, then automatically I've already cut off the possibilities of a positive outcome. But if you reduce it down to its lowest common denominator, it all comes down to how do I find a certain sense of inner peace? Well, Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley, thank you so much for joining us as the first guest ever on the American Resilience Podcast. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and thank you for all your good work over the years. Thank you, it's my honor. And remember this, everybody who's listening, you can't hit a home run if you get out of the box. You got to stay in the box, take your balls, take your strikes, but keep swinging. You've been listening to the American Resilience Podcast from American Resilience Project. My guest has been the Reverend Dr. Gerald Durley, Pastor Emeritus at Providence Missionary Baptist Church in Atlanta. He is also the board chair of Interfaith Power and Light and an advisory board member of the American Resilience Project. Stay tuned for more episodes, including our next conversation featuring former Assistant Secretary of Defense, Sharon Burke, who appeared in our first film, The Burden, and who talks about the military's ongoing transition away from fossil fuels. Be sure to visit us online at amresproject.org. That's A-M-R-E-S project.org, where you can sign up for our mailing list. You can watch all of our films for free and learn more about getting involved with specific campaigns. Please be sure to follow us on social media. This program is available on all major podcast platforms, and please do leave us a review. For all of us here at American Resilience Project, I'm Roger Sorkin. Thank you for listening and supporting us. 
because civilization deserves a fighting chance.